Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about cars. Just a small warning at the beginning here. There is a tiny amount of mildly adult content in this week's episode. You're probably safe for work. However, if you've got younger people listening, you may want to pause now and listen later. The concept of hacking into cars is either really old news or something you didn't think was possible. Most non-techies I talk to are immediately horrified to hear that it might be possible to hack into their car. For those of us in the cybersecurity industry, car hacking has been around for a long time. I think the issue for most people is that they grew up around cars that, that by today's standards, were pretty basic. Depending on when you were born, they, for instance, may not have even had a radio as standard. It's surprising for these same people to find out that today's vehicles are incredibly fragile, at least from a digital perspective, and they are usually also surprised to hear just how much attack surface there really is. It isn't just a case of hacking those modern key fob things that you can leave at the bottom of your bag and still open the car just with the touch of your hand. There are so many different aspects, I won't be able to talk about them all in today's episode, it's just, there's just massive amounts of it. So why would anybody hack into a car? This is going to depend significantly on who the victim is, what the car is, and who the attacker is. Let's think about this for a little bit. If, for instance, the victim is a celebrity, a politician, or other person in the the public eye, then these people might be worth following. Um, You might want to listen to their conversations that they're having in the car, or maybe you want to extort them by, you know, telling other people what they might well have done in the car or you know that kind of stuff but there's also the more obvious stuff which is well what about disrupting journeys so they don't get to meetings on time or perhaps even assassination and killing them it's a posh rare or expensive car perhaps well that would be good old-fashioned you know theft why would you not if you wanted a nice posh car that's one easy ish way of doing it If the attacker is just the local thief, well, maybe they want to steal the contents of the car. Um, I, for instance, have forgotten to lock my car at night before and gone to it in the morning to discover that it's been rifled through. Um, Now, there was loads of stuff in the car when this happened to me, but what actually happened was I had a packet of biscuits and a flapjack stolen. Um, They didn't take any of the coats or any of the other bits and pieces, which... I have to say is, is, you know, it's a sad set of circumstances, but it's probably the most common thing is, is not the car, not the people, but the contents of the car that are easily lifted that are the most likely to be stolen. The attacker might, for instance, be a, a, an environmental extremist or a cyber terrorist of some description. Um, and in that case, well, maybe what they want to do is cause a lot of disruption, so mass disruption, rather than stop you from getting to work. Maybe they want to stop everybody with a Tesla going to work. Uh, And that, well, that would cause a bit of an issue for a lot of people. Um, Maybe that's a statement or something along those lines that they're trying to, uh, to get at. You could also dream up a scenario where a nation-state hacker group used cars as some sort of crowdsourced Wi-Fi collection mechanism. But frankly, this feels like a lot of effort just to discover the presence of Wi-Fi networks, especially when tools like the Wiggle service exist for crowdsourced Wi-Fi war driving, which is basically the same thing, but uh, by legitimate users all over the world. I, for one, uh, think that that's quite a lot of effort for not a lot of gain. And uh, maybe there's other variations on that same sort of theme that would be worthwhile doing, but I, I, I don't know. I haven't managed to come up with any good ones myself. 
Okay, so what sort of attack surfaces are there? I'm going to go into this in a bit of depth, even though I'm not even going to get close. Um, there are three main groups of this in my eyes. Uh, so there's the user and mechanic facing equipment, uh, things like um, the keys, the diagnostic ports, infotainment systems, USB charging ports, that kind of thing. And then there's the stuff that interacts with the world around the car, like the LiDAR, the, the cameras that see what road signs you've got, the ultrasonic distance sensors, the air quality sensors, the, oh, so many things, the toll road tags and, and that kind of thing. There's also lots of connections to the internet. Um, so things like maps updates may well need it if you've got an inbuilt so, um, sat-nav. Or perhaps you've got one of those buttons which sends a, an emergency alert to the, the emergency services if you have a crash and you don't do anything about it. Um, maybe it's just, frankly, telemetry. You know, how hard are these cars being driven? Uh, you know, how quickly do they break down? That kind of thing. I would guess at this point that some of you are thinking that a lot of this is theoretical. And um, I can understand that. However, I've got some bad news for those folks because it's not that out of the realm of possibility. Um, it's not, you know, don't don't stop going in your car kind of material, but it's, it's not totally unheard of. Um, at the benign end of the scale, there are hobbyist devices, for instance, that can read the identifiers from tire pressure monitoring systems, also known as TPMS. And therefore, these could be used to track the movement of vehicles. Um, if, if you've got a unique ID and you hear from an RF point of view, you hear that uh, ID, then, well, that car is probably nearby. There are reports that the British Prime Minister, one of them, um, had components of their cars modified by the Chinese so that their movements could be tracked. Don't know how true this is. It's obviously, you know, in the news, but uh, beyond that, it's not necessarily been publicly verified. Um, but you can see why that would be the case. Clearly, the Prime Minister is in the public eye and the Chinese might well be interested in that. So it makes some sense. Um, and uh, back in 2015, uh, there was a couple of researchers uh, that showed it was possible to hack into unmodified Jeep Cherokees uh, and essentially take over the vehicle. Um, in the last few weeks, there have been um, reports published by the Mozilla Foundation about privacy in modern vehicles. Now, what they did was not look at the vehicles directly. They looked at the, the privacy policies. Uh, and, and and bear with me, because privacy and cybersecurity have got chunks that overlap, so it is relevant. You'll just have to wait shortly. But uh, the, uh, the report essentially says that privacy doesn't exist for modern cars. Um, they highlight some fairly unpleasant stuff in the privacy policy for various manufacturers. Um, like, for example, two manufacturers say they collect details on sexual activities. On the surface of it, it sounds absurd that they would do that, and, and frankly, highly invasive if it's true. But actually, this might be more likely an overzealous lawyer that is trying to cover all possibilities. So this is the adult part. Um, it is a known thing that some people have sex in cars. Technically, it is possible then, for example, that a voice assistant could be activated at a sensitive moment and then that audio recording would potentially find its way onto a manufacturer's server that is not to say that the report is disingenuous just that the most likely reason for this might also be the most innocent at least from the manufacturer's point of view if you see what i mean I, uh, I, you know, clearly the cybersecurity implications of that sort of data being held are pretty significant. So if you wanted to hack into, I don't know, name any major manufacturer and then gain access to those recordings, 
to discover people doing naughty things in cars. I, I mean, that would kind of be an interesting exercise. But I don't know how useful it would be beyond a bit of extortion of those individuals if you could identify those individuals. I don't know. Depends on a lot of things, that one. The practical application of those theoretical attacks continues into the future too. Um, in Tokyo this month, in January 2024, uh, the Zero Day Initiative, or ZDI, will host the first Pwn2Own automotive competition. Pwn2Own has been around for a while, uh, but this is the first time they've done the automotive-specific competition. These competitions, the Pwn2Own ones, allow security researchers to demonstrate exploits for vulnerabilities and win big cash prizes. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars if they are you know, particularly successful, um, as well as loads of community respect and other prizes as well often. The purpose of these competitions is to encourage vendor interaction with the security community and in doing so, but you know, you end up making these systems much more secure because they've had some exposure, they've had some clever people have a look at them, they've had probably bugs found and corrected. And it engenders a, a whole kind of mindset within those manufacturers that security is a good thing to get right. This first automotive competition has four categories. Uh, so it's got a, a vehicle manufacturer-specific one uh, for, for Tesla vehicles, um, in-vehicle entertainment systems as another category, uh, and then the category of electric vehicle chargers, uh, and then finally automotive operating systems. So we, we're not talking like your Windows laptop or whatever. It's the operating system of those embedded systems. The targets are selected well before the competition and the researchers have quite a few months to discover vulnerabilities and them and then create exploits for them ready for the demo that happens during the actual kind of the main part of the uh, the, the competition. So the reason all of this kind of attacks and the, the concepts we've been talking about is at all possible is because, well, frankly, all of the different parts of cars tend to be connected together. Now, if you think about the bits that make it move and, and that sort of thing, it's uh, they're all connected on a, a network called a CAN bus. Now, CAN stands for Controller Area Network, and it's not designed for like normal computers. Instead, it's a safety-first, low-latency, short-message networking protocol, um, and it's it's sort of semi-standardized, you know, the kind of the structure of the CAN messages are structured, but the uh, the contents of those messages are not necessarily. Um, that's because they're proprietary for those particular manufacturers. Canbus suffers from a security perspective because there is no authentication on each message. And this means that any device on the network can essentially pretend to be any other device. Authentication and associated cryptography is heavy on resources uh, and processing time and is frankly it's prone to failure on other fragilities which are not very conducive when you're after safety systems think let's think about it this is the opposite of what you need when attempting to send an urgent and precisely timed message to send say the deploy airbags message to wherever um, you definitely don't want crypto to get in the way of that one can messages are pretty simple in structure. The concept of sender and destination addresses doesn't really exist. Instead, every component gets every message. There is also uh, an arbitration field, which works a little bit like an address, but is mostly used to ensure urgent messages aren't interrupted. This is combined with an RTR, which is, uh, it doesn't matter what it stands for. It's basically, it's a field which shows whether this message contains data or is a request for data from a different component. 
after this, there are a few little bits that mostly, mostly we're talking about the data section. So the actual information that's useful to other components, as well as an error checking field to make sure that it was correctly formatted. Unfortunately, the data field is usually in this proprietary format that uh, we talked about before. It's, it's serialized data, not particularly exciting in that regard, but nobody has uh outside of the manufacturers nobody's got a like the authoritative list of well this message format the these codes mean this type of event or you know the the rev counters doing x or whatever instead there's been loads of effort reverse engineering this by the community to try and understand what's going on a bit better uh, for quite a lot of the different car manufacturers actually as it happens Overall, though, I would say this has probably resulted in a, a lack of protocol visibility, and and that certainly led to a lower, lower, excuse me, overall cybersecurity posture and, and assurance level of these vehicles. Um, and that's just because, well, less visibility means less uh, eyes have thought about it, less people have kind of gone into any depth, and therefore less assurance has been given. Back in the early days of car networking, there was just one big flat CAN bus network. This meant that any breached component, say the infotainment unit, was able to send or manipulate CAN messages for all the parts of the car. This is obviously a serious overexposure and thankfully in the last few years has become less common. But before you all rejoice that finally the manufacturers have seen the cybersecurity light, it is generally accepted that the single CAN bus was just getting too busy and it needed to be split up to function correctly. Basically, they were losing messages when they couldn't afford to anymore and so you needed more than one network to cope with the capacity. In any case, this division of the CAN bus networks has provided a security benefit as now it is uh, unusual to be able to inject a message to the brakes from, say, the door locks. In effect, though, this improvement is not the same as like a firewall or an intrusion prevention system or similar kind of technology. It's more like a router in that you get a reduction of immediate attack surface, but it may just require a bit more effort to overcome. Like you need to pivot around a different piece of equipment to be able to talk to the one you really want to talk to. From a high-tech enabled crime perspective, there are options here too. For example, if you can expose the physical CAN bus via, uh, say, a wing mirror, then you may be able to inject a message to un unlock the doors. If you combine this with accessing a different CAN bus in the engine bay, you may then be able to start the car and then drive away. Tools to do this sort of thing would be small, easy to use, and pretty cheap to buy. It just takes uh, the guts to go up to a vehicle and, and do it, basically. It's important here to note that I've talked a lot about CAN bus. Uh, there are other standards out there. That one just happens to be the most prevalent out there. Um, uh, so uh, what you should take from this is that whilst CAN bus you know, is, is common, the same conceptual problems exist with most of these uh, technologies. So what do I think? Well, I think it's uh, a bit hard to tell, really. But on balance, it is most likely that real attackers have got so many options on things to attack that they haven't bothered to make the significant effort required to remotely breach vehicles on a regular basis. Most of the potential attackers um, are also financially motivated, and the options for monetizing these sorts of attacks are perhaps a little limited, maybe only at the moment, but you know, maybe they are a little bit limited right now. Car theft is probably the worst thing that you will likely to face, and that is uh, what insurance is for. So if you've got insurance and you've got a posh car, well, you don't need to worry too much. So 
Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you have enjoyed the show. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere. We would really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch. You can do that via email on helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack on Twitter or X, or searching for you gotta hack that on LinkedIn. Thank you.